Well, we celebrate 117 years. That is an exciting thing. Is anybody willing to admit they are a founding member of the church? Not a soul. Which is really kind of exciting to me. That where many churches, you know, will be birthed uh, for a season, they do not last. But this church is thriving. 117 years and we all are the beneficiaries of, of those who've gone before us. Faithful men and women who sacrificed time and resources, prayers, and they were reaching people with the gospel. We are uh, standing in the shadow of some great men and women of God before us. And I think that we're, I pray, we're not at the end. We're, we're somewhere in the middle or maybe even still at the beginning of all that God's going to do way past our lifetime. As you walk through the, the hallway, perhaps making your way to the cafe, you'll see uh, pictures of, of the buildings that have been built uh, uh, along the history of this church. The church began just, uh, just a block away, and then they moved to this property, and they built a building up here where we had bounce houses uh, last week at, the, uh, uh, at our fall festival. They then tore that building down and they built the building uh, that we now know as the chapel or the Connections Cafe for, for some of you newer folks. And then they began to make their way this way with the breezeway and then built this around 1950-something. And we sit in a, a marvelous worship sanctuary because of those who were here. I have met uh, those who were here uh, in those days when they were building this building, which is very exciting. I've seen the pictures as it was being built. And then in 1963, they, they finalized the building of what we know as the educational wing, where uh, many of our, our small groups meet. And I, and I consider all the greatness that have taken place. But even the, the last building, that was built before JFK was shot. That tells you how long ago, but how long the, 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 the impact has been to provide a worship space, educational space, ministry space that you and I are benefiting from. And how do we see that? Do we take it for granted? Do, do we just say, well, it's kind of always been here? No, there were people who prayed and, and fought and, 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 and literally like died in the process of trying to make sure this church would sustain after they were gone. They left a legacy. And here we stand and we celebrate what God has done through uh, the people of this church. And I consider this verse that I want to share with you, Ephesians, is kind of the focal verse for today. Because I thought, you know what, as I, I consider all that God has done in 117 years, and the legacy that has been left, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. There were generations before us and there will be generations after us. But look what God has done as He's worked through the people of the church. That's something to celebrate. That's something to be excited about. We should never take for granted all that God has done. Neither should we sit in our own comfortable pew and think it'll always be sustained if we don't capture the same vision the founders of our church had. In no way could they have visualized 
117 years ago, what would have taken place and where we'd be today. But somehow, I believe, they thought, if we are just faithful, if we just proclaim the gospel, if we, if we share the gospel with people around us, if we just love God and give Him our best, God will bless it. And the church will grow. And there's where we are. I can only imagine thousands of people who've had their lives impacted through the ministry of this place. Now, I've only been here a brief two uh, two years, two, a little over two years. And I've seen that God has done marvelous things prior to my arrival. He's doing things right here. And I get to be on the front row of all that God's doing. And I suspect he's got many more plans for us in the future. I thought uh, as I was in a closet this week actually looking for something else, I ran across the posters that are in the windows. I thought, let me bring those back out this week because some of you have never seen these posters they're only about a year and a half old, but uh, just about a year and a half ago, we gathered in our fellowship hall downstairs. Our faith-raising committee uh, had begun to just pray and, and, and think, what, what would we do uh, to advance what's going on here at the church? We're not interested in building a new building today, but how could we um, take our buildings and our, our usable space in a, in, a, in a way that's accommodating to the culture that we live in and to the people that live here today? And so they began to dream, and, and, uh, and during that process, we were already um, improving the look of our steeple. The steeple had fallen into disrepair, the, uh, the, the weather vane had fallen, much of the, uh, the wood had gotten rotten, and the church, even prior to my arrival, said, we need to put that uh, in better shape. We need to improve that, because if the outside of the building looks like it's in disrepair, the assumption of the community is, so is the inside of the people is in disrepair. So let's make sure the outside has a label on it that truly reflects our love for God, our love for uh, each other, and how we can improve things. So our faith-raising team began to dream beyond just the steeple. And as you look around, and, and I encourage you to do afterwards, uh, there were the multi-purpose chapel conversion poster. Not sure where that one is. It's somewhere around here. But as we looked at our chapel, which was not being used uh, very frequently, we thought, what if we, we took out the red carpet and we saw the original hardwood uh, pine floors and just you know, buffed those and made those look wonderful? Uh, what if we began to use that on a, almost on a daily basis now uh, for choir practice or uh, other gatherings in, in the cafe? How many of you have benefited from going into the cafe? And I'm thankful for all of you uh, folks who make the cafe work every week. It has been a, a key to the relational connections this past year. We looked at one of our old vans and said, you know, with the, either the air conditioner is dripping all over you or it doesn't work at all on a hot 100 degree day on a mission trip. Why not upgrade uh, to a, a different shuttle bus that does not require a CDL? That was on one of our posters and we have that bus out there now that picks up Liberty students. Raise your hand if you've ever ridden the bus to a, from Liberty University to here. A few of you up there, yes. How many of you have ridden it to uh, uh, apple picking or some other type of event, you know, from our church? Yeah, you are benefiting from that. And it is far easier to get in and out of than the van. So there was the vision for that. I, I looked down the hallway and, and the nursery and preschool upgrades. What a tremendous impact. 
that has had. This last April, we just opened up the, the new uh, facilities there. There was a lot of effort that went into that, trying to get that done prior to Easter. And the, the facilities for our nursery and preschool are amazing. If you've never seen that, I encourage you to go see that. When, when the school is not in session down there, uh, don't, don't scare the teachers that a lot of strangers are walking in. But uh, go down there and see that. Uh, much of that has taken place, and, and I think about, I, the reason I bring this up, it's a good reminder, we'll remember, but some of you are brand new, and you've only been coming for the last six months or so. You have no idea what has taken place prior to your arrival. Other things that we've looked at, student and ministry education uh, improvements, which we've not yet got, gotten to. We are uh, looking at how do we encourage or, or uh, upgrade our uh, displays and signage, both internally and externally uh, from our building. And one of the areas that we uh, talk about often, and I get asked about, when is the stage renovation going to happen? It's going to happen. Just don't bug me about it because I have no control over that. But what we, why would we want to even prove the stage? Do you know how many layers, some of you are new here, but do you know how many levels we have on this? It goes up and down and up and down and up, up, up. And, and it's just it's interesting, but we're trying to get more people involved in, in worship ministry. We'd like to expand it out and level it off and, and provide more opportunities for people to be in the choir, play an instrument, and just be a part of leading all of us to the throne of grace. That's an exciting thing that we're looking forward to in the near future. But I just stop and think, you know, there are some things we haven't gotten to yet. But look at all that God has already done in such a short time. And we got to be a part of that. And some of you new folks that are coming, you get to be a part of what's happening now and in the near future. We need to celebrate that we have the opportunity to stand uh, in the shadow of so much greatness that has come before us. But now in our generation, we get to be a part of something great. That generations from now, they'll look back and say, thank you for being faithful to God, faithful in your giving, faithful of your time, faithful to, to keep the mantle strong and to keep the gospel loud in our community that people's lives could be changed. That's exciting. Are you glad you get to be a part of that? Oh, let's never drop the, the baton. Let's, let's get a hold of what God is doing uh, in us and through us. So, considering this verse particular, it says in verse 21, to him be the glory in the church. Absolutely all glory goes to, to God through the church. And it says throughout all generations, forever and ever. So I titled the message today, A Church for All Generations. Well, what does that mean? And how do we embrace that and apply that? Well, a church for all generations is not a building. As much as we appreciate the building and we get to sit in this, this marvelous sanctuary and, and go to class in and, and different parts of our building, I'm thankful we have a building, but it's, church is not about the building. A church for all generations is about the people. Church, ecclesia is the Greek word. Uh, to, ek, to out, to be called out. Ecclesia is kokleo, meaning to, to call, to speak. We are the called out ones, called out from the world to live for God in the world so that people would know how to be saved, justified, sanctified, and glorified in Christ. This is the church for every generation that the gospel would continue on calling people to glorification ultimately. Yet every generation comes along with their own personal desires, their own preferences. Opinion polls are a dime a dozen. 
common question that they ask on surveys uh, from churches. What do you look for in a church? They'll ask that both in the community and they'll ask that for people within the church. What do you look for in a church? Here are some common answers on those, those polls. I'm looking for someone in the same age group. Or is there anybody that uh, is in my life stage? They say, I'm looking for programs that meet my needs or my family's needs. Some people say, I'm looking for something to do on the weekend. Some people have answered, you know, I, I'm just looking for God and I wonder if they know Him. So how do people choose a church? Those things are drivers. The number one, which was interesting on one of the polls, the number one thing that people looked for uh, in the, uh, as they came to the church was adequate parking. If they drove up to a church and there was no parking, they kept driving on. And you think about how many times somebody may have done that and go, well, it looks like it's a great place, but there's no place to park, so therefore... We'll just drive down the street. Number two was a safe nursery. Is this a place I could leave my children and know they're taken care of, loved, and protected? There are lots of different things that people will look for once they get into a church. The, uh, considerations of style of music, the comfort of the seats, you know, the um, air conditioning, and heater, all those things, which never is 100% perfect for everybody in the room. They also look for friendliness. And I've often said people are not necessarily looking for a friendly church, but they are looking for friends. There's a big difference between, hi, glad you're here, and you get that same you know, Walmart, Walmart welcome, but then you don't find anybody who will take time to know you. So what should you be looking for in a church? What, what should this church strive to be like? Well, I'd commend to you that there is a very clear and biblical answer. Looking for a church that honors the Word of God ought to be your number one. If they are honoring the Word of God, then how they respond to the Word of God will make a huge difference in how they're taking care of everything else. The Bible is what shapes our beliefs and our behavior. Many congregations... Far too many congregations, I'm, I'm, I'm sad about, are declining, failing, and not keeping or reaching the next generation. And sometimes I begin to wonder, could it be because they are failing to hold to a biblical standard in both their beliefs and their behaviors? Have they stopped loving other people like God calls them to love other people? Have they stopped teaching the Word as it's presented versus manipulating it to meet their own preferences? See, God accomplishes His will through His Word. He saves people through His Word. He sanctifies us through His Word. He provides power and grace through His Word. The church isn't failing because it's not culturally relevant or because we don't have a good marketing scheme. The church will, will fail when they depend upon the best that man can do and never fully realize what God can do through His Word. Got an illustration to kind of bring this out a little bit. I had to print it off over on the side because it didn't fit in my notes. The barometer question. Years ago, there was a physics professor 
who asked his class, show how it is possible to determine the height of a tall building with the aid of a barometer. Any physics major here that can figure that out? One student decided to push the limits for a good grade. His first answer was, take the barometer to the top of the building. Attach a long rope to it. Lower the barometer to the street. And then bring it up, measuring the length of the rope. The length of the rope is the height of the building. Though true, the answer did not confirm uh, that he understands physics. The second answer he then uh, gave. Take the barometer to the top of the building and lean over the edge of the roof. Drop the barometer. Time its fall with a stopwatch. Then using the formula, H equals half gravity times time squared, calculates the height of the building. Though once again true, the answer did not confirm he understood physics. The third answer he gave, well, he's pretty creative here. Take the barometer out on a sunny day and measure the height of the barometer, the length of its shadow, and the length of the shadow of the building. And by using the simple proportion, determine the height of the building. The fourth answer he gave. Take the barometer and begin to walk up the stairs. As you climb the stairs, you mark off the length of the barometer along the wall, and then count the number of marks, and this will give you the height of the building in barometer units. A very direct method. The fifth answer he gave. Tie the barometer to the end of a string, swing it as a pendulum, and determine the value of G at the street level and at the top of the building. From the difference between the two values of G, the height of the building can, in principle, be calculated. The sixth answer he gave, finally, take the barometer to the basement. Knock on the manager's door. When the manager answers, say to him, Mr. Manager... I have a top-of-the-line barometer. If you can tell me the height of this building, I will give you this barometer. The professor then asked the student point blank if he really did know the answer, the conventional physics answer to the question. He admitted that he did, but said he was tired of the high school and college instructors trying to teach him how to think. And he preferred to explore his own ways of doing things rather than following the pattern given. And I share that, which is somewhat humorous, but I share that because I think this is what people do with the Bible and church. I see what it says, but can't we be a little more creative in our day? Can't we move beyond what was here and good for the Old Testament and the New Testament times? Can we not just shape what we want in this to get the answers we're looking for? Sometimes we miss the entire blessing of God because we are following our own methods, preferences, and patterns. When we follow though Christ's pattern for his church, based on sound theology, biblical truth, it eliminates the identity crises that churches seem to find themselves. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we doing? 
Following the Bible eliminates all the novel uh, uh, sub, uh, substitutes, I should say, the novel substitutes, the inadequate answers that demonstrate no real competency or surrendering to God, uh, God's authority. By the way, that student was a rebel. He was tampering with the authority of his professor in physics. And too often people make the same error in their own lives and also in the church by tampering with the authority of God and trying to go their own way rather than God's revealed truth. Today, as we just look at two verses, I want to pull out five things to, to show you both for your life but I'm applying it to the church this morning as we celebrate 117 years. I want you to envision what a church is like when they not only understand, but they embrace and apply the truths that we see in these two verses. I want you to envision a church where, number one, his ability, God's ability is exhibited. Not man's ability, not, not the creativity that we can pull together from some marketing scheme, but his ability is exhibited. It says in this verse, now to him who is able to do. Our God is alive and active. He's omnipotent. He is able to do or to work. For God is neither idle, inactive, uncaring, or dead. We need a church. We need a life where we understand that he is able to do. He has power with no limits. You consider the flood. Not uh, no accident, but planned and announced to Noah 120 years in advance. God controlled the rain, the fountains of the earth, and we, uh, Noah prepared for that day. We still see his power with the rainbow. Consider Joshua and the Israelites. As they went into the promised land, 12 uh, spies, 10 spies said going into the promised land would never happen. We'd never be able to make it. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. They could not depend upon the power of God because they were only looking through the lens of what they were able to do. The two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said God could make anything happen. And God led them there. He stopped the river Jordan to let them cross. He, he caused a wall uh, to build, uh, to fall down at the sound of trumpets. He made the sun stand still in the book of Joshua. God can do anything. Consider Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He was beaten. He was hung on the cross and he died. Yet his body, though placed in the tomb, rose from the dead three days later. And God raised him from the dead, and he is alive. We've got to stop looking with the lens of what you and I and any human can do. We need to envision a, a, a church where his ability is exhibited. It's time to envision a church not as man has, has placed himself in some exalted, uh, exalted state, where man's best thoughts, techniques, strategies, or systems on display. It's time to envision church where God's ability is on display, where He, in all His glory, shows what He is able to do. The second thing we see as we read through this verse is not only is His abilities, but also our aspirations are exceeded. It says far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Now, I don't know about you, but... but I can ask for some pretty big things. And I can think and dream of a lot of stuff. And this verse says that no matter the heights of your thinking, no matter the heights of your dreams, no matter the heights of your asking, 
you're not even scratching the surface of all that God can do. Our aspirations ought to be exceeded. God hears our prayers is what it tells me. Whatever we ask, He is able to do it all that we ask. He hears and He answers. Like what one commentator said, no prayer that has ever been framed has uttered a bold enough request For it is impossible to ask too much since the Father's giving exceeds their capacity for asking. I want you to think about something in your life right now that you're troubled with. Perhaps it's a relational situation or or it's a physical and and, and health issue or or perhaps it's, it's some kind of financial, whatever it may be. And you may be saying, well, Lord, I just, I'd like you to look into this. I'd like some help in this. And, and you're, you're taking it in with a, a low energy. And this verse says, listen, God can do far more above all that you ask or think. So you ought to ask big. And you ought to think grander than you do. And let God exceed your expectations so that he would get all the glory and you would get all the joy in being a part of surrendering your controls and watching what God can do when you just sit back and say, wow. This is where we need to be in more of a position of awe of God versus a controlling, uh, a, a perceived controlling of God. See, God knows What we pray, He's listening to our prayers. He knows what's in our minds, even when we don't speak it. He is able to do all that He desires in all that we think. And too often our our, our dreams are too small and we're afraid to think even bigger. It says here that God exceeds our expectations because He says He does far more. used to live in a, a farming community and I just consider, if, if we were having a severe drought, it hadn't rained here in, in a year or two years, and we all gathered together for, to pray for rain, how many of you would be wearing a raincoat and boots and bringing your umbrella? Too often we go into prayer not expecting God's going to do anything. We just pray. If you truly believed it, wouldn't you show up knowing that he's going to answer according to his will? And one of the things you'll often hear me say is, I'm expecting guests here. Are we really expecting people to come if we share the gospel and love them in our community? And are we expecting far more above all that we could ask or think? I mean, if I say uh, God's going to bring people to himself through West Lynchburg, well, how many? How often? Are you expecting many? Are you expecting people every week? I've been amazed at how God has transformed lives. We've seen the baptism uh, filled uh, multiple times this year. But I'm expecting far more in the next year because I believe God is continuing to work through his people. God is not limited by my expectations, neither is He yours. His expectations are even higher. And I love what it says in this word, abundantly. Far more abundantly. God's ability and His willingness is superior to all. The word there, 
is only, uh, only occurs here and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. And let me read some of the other translations, perhaps, that you have. King James says, exceeding abundantly. In, in the, uh, uh, in the uh, NIV, it's immeasurably. Philip's translation, infinitely more. The New American Standard says, exceeding abundantly beyond. Man, this, this heightened superpower, super abundance of what God is able to do when we just ask, we just thank, we just surrender. I consider in the last two years we've had quite an amazing challenge in our culture and, and literally around the world. We've, we've lived through a pandemic. We're experiencing an economic downturn and we don't know when the end of that will come and it's putting pressures and challenges and, and and stress and pressures on families that they've not experienced perhaps in their own lifetime. Many churches, many businesses across the United States specifically are closing their doors because they have not survived the pressures. I talk to brothers every week in the ministry and they're like, Chris, I'm not sure what we're going to do. We're bringing in two-thirds of our budget and we're not going to be able to pay the bills. We're laying off staff. I don't know what we're going to do. People are, are being transferred jobs just to survive. What's going to happen? And I sit back and I say, that's the realities. But I look at what God has done here in the midst of all the same challenges everyone else is experiencing. And God has been gracious to West Lynchburg. We've seen 85 people join in nearly 20 baptisms in this last two years. That's amazing to me. I don't take that lightly. But I consider that there are 92,000 people in our five-mile radius, and how many still are unreached and without the gospel? How many don't, don't know that God loves them and that this church will love them and walk through life together with them? How many Anglos and African Americans and Hispanics and Asians? How many singles and single parents and children and older couples and intact families are, are, are struggling, but they need to be reached? We, when, I, when I came here, God gave us a vision of 920 people, which is only 1% of our 92,000 people in a five-mile radius, and we haven't reached 920. Some of you said I was crazy when I stated that early on. But let me tell you, God can do far more abundantly than all that we ask, all that we think. We need to stop limiting our thinking and start dreaming much bigger. Charles Swindoll, great preacher, said, We are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. With God, all things are possible. We need to envision a church where we pray like we've never prayed before and we think God-sized thoughts and, and we don't settle for mere, mere uh, reminiscing of the good old days as great as they have been, nor do we coast to be average. We must be a church that envisions in our 117th year where God's ability is exhibited and our aspirations are exceeded. And here's the next part. Number three is that the body is empowered. God always does His greatest work through the people who are willing to trust Him. 
The body is empowered, it says, according to the power at work within us. Can you believe in this moment that God wants to do miraculous things through your life? You were not called to sit on the sidelines. You weren't called to watch it on television. You were called to be a part of God's uh, miraculous movements in our generation. And all you have to bring to the table is your heart and your willingness. He will do it through you. He will do it through us. Does that excite you or make you scared to death? Perhaps it ought to do both. But the, I'd rather be scared to death to be used by God, but at least be willing, than sit back and go, I'm not sure He can do it, so I'll just let someone else step into the fray. Think of Gideon, who, who's, I'm not sure I, I, I'm the one called to this. You, you know, you're sure God, but then look at what he ended up doing. It was amazing. It says the body is empowered the, according to the power, God's power, what He's able to do at work within us. There's no question whether God's power is super abundant, but people often will desire God's power for them, but they struggle to see God's power through them. We need to learn that God has no limits. And you are not a limiting factor in what God can do. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he is in you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We need to learn that Jesus made a promise that we have never dared to explore. In John chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. How many of you believe in Jesus? How many of you believe that you can do the works that he calls you to do and empowers you to do? It says... I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Gideon, with 300 men, accomplished the impossible. David, with a few stones, accomplished the impossible against Goliath in the name of the Lord, when the entire Israelite army could not advance. Peter, just days before denying Jesus, when he was denying Jesus, now preached to large crowds, and 3,000 were saved. Even Peter, who was backpedaling from some servant girl, he says, aren't you one of his? No, 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 not me. And when the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, look what he did with boldness. We need to learn that God has no limits. You need to learn that Jesus made a promise we have never dared to explore. And we need to learn that God is the standard of possibilities. You are not. With God, all things are possible. We need to learn to live by faith every day. And see God's power work through us every day. The infinite ability of God to work beyond our prayers and our thoughts and our abilities as he works through us with the same power which raised Christ from the dead and enthroned him in heaven. The same power is at work within us. He made you for his glory. Be on display for his glory. We need to envision a church where every person, regardless of age, Regardless of background, regardless of experience, regardless of, 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 of skin color, we need to, to envision a church where all people can gather together under the banner of Christ to discover, develop, and display their gifts for God's glory. That's West Lynchburg. Fourth, we need to envision a church where Christ is exalted 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, verse 21. I believe when the church does the right things for the right reasons, they will see the right results with the blessings of God. There are many Christians uh, in leadership who have fallen to the temptation of self-glory, but when they do everything for God's glory, it's different. Too many people start off well, but then through the pressures or the pleasures that are uh, uh, before them, their attention gets shifted from God. So therefore, we need to press forward to seek God's glory and hold one another accountable. We need to know we're getting closer to God by singing about Jesus and desiring His pleasure above all. We need to listen to His words and apply them with no consideration of self. We need to give our time, talent, and treasure for Christ with no thoughts to our own comfort. We need to be like Peter, changed from a rough fisherman to a fearless spokesperson for God. We need to be like Paul, changed from a a persecutor to a preacher and a church planter. God can do all things through us if we just surrender for His glory. Lastly, we need to envision a church where discipleship is essential from one generation to another. It says throughout all generations. It does not say until it reaches our generation and then there's a period. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. From uh, Genesis to Revelation, the discipleship of the next generation has always been prominent. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them. And Deuteronomy 32, 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations and ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. Psalms 89, verse 1, I will sing to the, uh, the, the, the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 119 verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. Psalm 145 verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful people who may be able to teach others also. Are you embracing the glory of God by receiving the word, the discipleship others pour into you, and not let it stop there, let it come through you as it changes you, and it's given to someone else? If the church, West Lynchburg Baptist Church, is going to be here for another 117 years, it'll be the linchpin of right now what you do with the gospel and how you disciple the next generation. Are you pouring into them? Are you speaking the gospel? Are you calling them to faith? The church is the bride of Christ. Even with all its imperfections in our humanity, the church is a beautiful thing. If we reduce the church to just a 60-minute worship service, we've forgotten our greater purpose. If we reduce the church to some program, we've forgotten our identity as sent and reproducing people. If we reduce church to, to just a building where people come to an event... We'll lose our vision and our legacy. 2,000 years, God has manifested His great power in various ways. But most amazingly, He has shown His power in preserving His Word and bringing together Jews and Gentiles, male and female, different cultures, different languages, and different nations under the Lordship of Christ, generation after generation. May that be true in this place. The church is where every man, woman, and boy, and girl 
or in relational discipling environments together. The church must envision not merely reaching people, but actually reproducing disciples. Not merely informing people, but actually equipping growing saints. Not merely providing programs, but actually fulfilling God's purpose. Not merely being busy with activity, but actually building meaningful, eternal relationships. The church is not merely accumulating a large gathering, but actually connecting and deploying for every generation. Before we conclude today, I want to just give a challenge. I want you to begin to pray, and I want you to begin to think bigger than you do now about West Lynchburg. This is what I want you to envision. Let's put this up on the screen. I want you to envision, nope, put it, put it back for a second. Oh, yeah, just go, yeah, 100 new worship attenders in the next year. You think, where are we going to put them? Right next to you. It's been amazing. As I said, 85 people have come and joined us, and, and there's many who are just regular attenders right now, haven't become official members, but they're finding this to be their home. Would you pray and think, would God give us 100 new people to impact in the next year? How about the next one? Would you pray and think that 100% of the people who attend worship services would actually get involved in a small group? When I got here, we were running about 50% based on records that I, I was able to get. We moved up to about 60, 65%. And on average, we're around 80 to 85% of people who attend worship actually go to a small group for a relational discipleship environment. I'm praying for 100%. Here's the next one. A thousand new evangelistic touches. What does that mean? We will be intentional about things like the fall festival, but also providing resources that you would share the gospel with somebody. In the next year, let's dream bigger than just finding one. Let's see if we can just spread the seeds widely and see what God does with those intentional efforts. The next one. It'll take some finances to do some of this. Our budget team, our stewardship team is, is prayerfully evaluating how we uh, handle our finances. We want to be um, wise, and we're certainly accountable to how things are spent, but we can only spend, we can only touch certain communities, we can only go on, on mission trips, we can only fund things that we've got resources for. And we're not the government, we can't print money just because we desire to. But I believe that if we begin to pray, and we begin to think bigger, God would exceed our expectations, and I believe we'll have $100,000 more given this next year than we're budgeting for right now. Next week, you get a privilege of voting on our budget. It's a, it's a healthy budget. It's a budget of faith. But I believe God will exceed that when His people surrender to His plan and get fully in, engaged. And let's see what God does with that. Because the majority of that will not stay here. It will be going out of these walls to impact people for eternal change. God is doing something here that is remarkable. And we could sit back and, and, uh, and just be thankful or we can say, God, thank you for doing it and taking us this far. What's next? And not just what's next for us. What is my role in stepping into your plan? There's a legacy that's been given to us. I'm praying for the legacy that we will leave behind us 